Hi James, this is our second episode of the year, third overall. I'm uh, excited to do this again. Yeah, I'm happy they funded season two. You know, a lot of shows are starting to get canceled these days, and and we made it through the to the second season. You know, <laughs> immense funding. That is true. I have a fun fact as we start this. Oops. You know, we've had uh, explosive growth on Spotify over the last one week. We've had explosive growth. We've yeah. had a hundred percent increase in subscribers. Well, well, what, what number are we at? <laughs> well, it was two before, <laughs> which I think was me and my wife because I'm not sure if you fucking followed us on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I'll check after this, but yeah, no, it's very possible. I'm not subscribed. So, yeah. <laughs> Double that number and, well, this is us uh, crushing it. Yeah, I mean, we set a low enough bar and we'll always be crushing it. And, you know, <laughs> as long as we're doing something for fun, I think we should keep the bar somewhere where we can knock it out of the park. And That's true. One hour of debugging and finally we are ready to go. Two things on two topics that are top of mind for us today. We'll kind of do, we'll kind of go back to our original format where, you know, it's more like unpacked deep dive analysis kind of thing. Whereas last time we did the more predictions type episode. This one, we have two topics that's top of mind. One is the whole issue with Apple Massimo and Apple Watch. If you haven't been following that, there was a bunch of controversy that happened closer to the end of the year where Apple basically had to stop selling new Apple watches for a couple of their editions and we'll kind of dive into it a little bit more. But a lot of interesting issues to kind of peel in as we go into that. And then the second one that we're going to talk about is the GPT store. And if you haven't been following, OpenAI basically launched a new GPT store that's kind of supposed to be like the app store. So we'll talk a little bit more about like, you know, how much do we actually buy the hype versus not? Like what's real? What's the actual opportunity? And We'll have some hot takes to go. Let's get into it. All right, James. So let's 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 go into the first one. Apple versus Massimo. Uh, so let me tee this up, and then I would love to get your reaction, early thoughts on this. So timeline-wise, sometime in October, there is essentially this federal body that's called the International Trade Commission. It's essentially the body that's responsible for investigating quote-unquote unfair trade practices. This also includes everything around like patent infringement, things like that. So if you actually have a patent and somebody is infringing upon, this is kind of the federal body that you would go to like contest this. So the ITC in October ruled against Apple on a patent infringement case against this company called Massimo. The patent that they infringed upon is the blood oxygen sensor. It's essentially the feature in the Apple Watch that lets you measure the blood oxygen levels in your body. Massimo is a company that is US-based. Initially, I thought it was not, but it actually is. They're based out of California. They do a lot of the consumer health electronics, health devices, that kind of stuff. So October, the ruling came that Apple did infringe on this. Somewhere in mid-December, Apple basically announced that they're going to stop selling two of their the highest range Apple Watches that are available in the market, the Series 9, which the starting price is $400 in the US, and then the Ultra 2, which the starting price is $800 in the US. So those, basically, those are pretty much, those are the most recent Apple Watches. Right, like, yeah, that makes sense. The most recent models? Is it? And the ones that have the blood sensor, the blood oxygen sensor measurement. I guess my point is the blood oxygen sensor is the new to the Apple Watch. 
it's it's not hasn't been around before or do we do we know that i think it's it's like a relatively newer feature i think i think one of the things that i realized a little bit more from the research is uh, off the spectrum of smart smart watches that are available in the market there's a bunch of them that are like focused on fitness you know like fitbit is like semi fitness semi lifestyle garmin kind of goes pretty heavy on like fitness and like outdoor hardcore enthusiast kind of thing and then apple is one of the few that's actually kind of treated closer to like a medical device in a lot of ways oh okay so the blood oxygen sensor kind of plays like an important part in you know that part of that positioning and like how you think about it and you know yeah so i do think apple's trying to get closer to like the medical capabilities there's some interesting applications around like airpods for example could potentially be used as like hearing aids things like that so i do think oh. the blood oxygen sensors you know kind of takes them closer to like a much higher bar i think i might be readjusting my opinions for later because <laughs> up until now apple ecosystem I and so I didn't have that person. I just thought it was the default watch that Apple users use. Yeah. And I didn't, I guess I'd seen the, the stuff around the AirPods being more yeah. like hearing aids, but I, I didn't make that connection that Apple's trying to actually be more of a medical device. Yeah, that's fair. I guess you're probably right that there is, you know, a non-trivial amount of Apple watch owners that just have it as a lifestyle thing, as an extension to the Apple ecosystem. It kind of plays nice with a lot of uh, other Apple products. But I do think that the medical device part is something that's like relatively unique to them compared to a lot of other manufacturers. So basically mid-December, Apple says they're going to pull a bunch of these off the shelves. And then eventually they did actually end up like bringing. So if you go to the Apple website, you can buy this product today. But uh, they actually have a banner at the top of the website, which says that the blood oxygen measurement functionality is like not available right now. So this is like a fairly non-trivial deal to Apple to actually ship something into the market and then have to revert that feature back. I guess so. the nice thing they have is they can do that via software and they don't have to retool <laughs> a whole factory or things That's like true. that. So relatively yeah. a, a lower cost to change. To and there is some fuzziness around it. I think uh, in the new watches that they are selling now, the blood oxygen capability is like not there, but in the old watches, I think it's still like there in some form or shape. Yeah, I think it's it, it also... Might be, it might yeah. be tied with the... the, the the actual law implication here or the the way that that's being banned that's where, where yeah. it's it might be turned on when since they're all manufactured outside the u.s it might turn yeah. on the importation like when does it come into the u.s oh yeah that's, so, that's right so I, that might be another point i don't know if it came up here digging so this this ban affects the u.s but that's right presumably that is right people abroad yep can have this oxygen sensor right that's correct so i think this feature is still available outside of the u.s but in the u.s the itc's ruling basically applies only to the u.s market so yeah, now, now people right. can do like runs to canada or mexico and to buy, <laughs> to buy an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's true okay so james early reactions like what do you what what, do, what are your thoughts on this so i think maybe maybe a lot of people out there probably have a similar reaction to me where you 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 hear about this and you're like, look at blood oxygen sensor. Like, what is that? And then B, yeah. who is this Massimo company? And so that's, that's like my, my first reactions when we were talking about this is, is, well, I want to know more about this. And I think key thing that helped me visualize what the heck a blood oxygen sensor is. <laughs> if you've ever had like a family member or yourself in the hospital or something yeah. like that, yeah. the thing that they put on your finger that reads your read stuff about you, right. you know, right. that, right. that includes, you know, blood oxygen sensor. And, and that makes sense. I also remember it was a big deal during COVID when it was like one of the things that you would measure if you were suffering from COVID and if like your blood oxygen levels go down 
that's kind of when you know you're actually serious and need like medical intervention exactly because it's if you are having trouble breathing it's you measure that by how much oxygen you have yeah so that makes sense yeah and so i, when I was digging into it I was like so well, what's so big deal about this company are they just i was trying to distinguish are they a random patent troll who just owned bought patents from another company <laughs> and is like yeah. you know attacking another company but the fact that they actually have a product and they're like a, a leader in one of their product areas kind of shifted me away from that way of thinking because that was an initial thought that i think it's that's yeah. happened a lot in tech so do, do you have a sense for how much of their business is like commercial versus consumer electronics so yeah i do let me let me look at this i wrote something down i think what complicates it and i'll get back to that number in a second but what yeah. complicates it is in 2022 they bought a company that makes makes like high-end sound systems Interesting. Uh, well, okay. I guess it was like a holding company. There's a couple yeah. different brands, but okay. one you might know is Denon. Yeah. Uh, is it like a making? They make audio r- video receivers. So if you have like a surround sound system, okay. So that kind of complicates it again. I dug into one of their December 2022 is the date of the slide deck. It was an investor day that they did, and they talked about their revenue guidance for 2023, and it broke down to 1.4 billion was going to be healthcare and. Okay. 0.9 billion was going to be non-healthcare. Interesting. Didn't, didn't okay. go all the way down into like which portion was <laughs> for what, which thing. I mean, so I would say it's like what consists of healthcare versus non-healthcare. Like yeah. would a, they actually, one of their products is a watch and that kind of came, comes up in this dispute. Does that count as healthcare or does that count as non-healthcare is kind of a question. I think clearly makes sense. headphones yeah. are non-healthcare. Maybe so, it's, maybe it's fair to say they're less of like a consumer consumer brand in the in the way that like an Apple or a Samsung is versus you know I did see a bunch of their products which were being used in like hospitals and I'm guessing there's probably some like prescription devices that uh, go to consumers things like that yeah maybe exactly less of like a direct to consumer play yeah no I I think it's I feel I guess I'm skipping ahead in some of my thoughts I feel like effort here is that they would want to try to be more selling grow their revenue selling directly to consumers because and in part of that they can show oh look we've bought these sound systems so consumers buy that yeah but that I, makes sense i think something that uh, you know might be reading too much into it but the thing that happened after they bought this sound system company is they released a feature to for some earbuds which uh they talk about how it gives you like a personalized listening profile interesting because you know after a certain age, your body's deteriorating, right? So like your ears have a different response to what your headphones say, something like that. Yeah. And so they apply this technology where they can test how your ear reacts to the sound and then adjust the profile of, as music comes through the earbuds. Interesting. Does it sound better for you? And when I, when I, my first reaction to seeing that is like, okay, so maybe this company is, is less about the, or maybe I would characterize the company more about being like a signal processing company, right? Yeah, so that the Polk Oximeter works by shooting different light into your 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 um your skin and then seeing how your blood reacts and uh and so that sounds very similar to you know we did some things to your eardrum and now we see <laughs> like we adapt the sound from that so it sounds more like they're they're reapplying similar technology which is cool that makes sense and i think i did look at like the couple of patents that were being contested and it did look like one of these you know like uh i remember seeing like a signals diagram in like one of their uh patent uh, submissions so yeah i think that makes sense that you know that's kind of their core business yeah and i think also if i was to go back to you we talked to, to their healthcare products themselves like looking at them on their website obviously very yeah. biased look <laughs> if they're the ones presenting <laughs> yeah. but but they do talk they do show like graphs about how they can they their 
version compares to competitors. You know, there's a lot of when you're shooting light into people's skin to yep. measure how their blood reacts. There's like different complications to it, like people's different skin color or if they're moving can can affect the reading. And they were showing how that they are more performant. So it does. I found it pretty convincing, even though I was reading biased. You know, information pretty convincing yep. that they are a market leader, at least in this this original product, uh, which is the product that the Apple Watch allegedly is you know infringing upon. And, and so I think that's a key point: is they are a market leader, they have a good product, and the thing that Apple is allegedly copying makes a lot of sense. So if you were, so it does seem like they're a fairly legitimate company that has built a lot of these products. What is your sense on kind of where this conflict between Apple versus Massimo is? You know, if you were on either side, like how do you how do you kind of think about this problem? I think I, I wanted to look at it from Massimo's perspective. I found it yeah. more interesting as as because um, you know, anyone that's going up against large <laughs> technology companies today that play a big role in people's lives, I want to know where they're coming from. Yeah, and you know, I think it's tough. I'll, I'll bring up a point that I don't know how much of a believer I am and the company is still led by their founder. So right, you can, right. people like to talk about other companies having different behavior when they're founder led. So I think that might color a little bit about, you know, how crazy they might go with like, Oh yeah, we can take Apple or like yeah. we're going to totally shift from being a medical company to, we're going to make a smartwatch and we're going to go on. And their CEO machine. has been like pretty outspoken through this whole uh, battle that they've had with Apple. Yeah, exactly. On the reverse side, you could, yeah, I don't even know if I've heard Tim Cook talk about this, right? <laughs> so a little bit of their, they're punching up, so to speak. But as far as like a, a, a strategy here, if they would want to stop Apple Watch from being sold so that they could sell their own watch, doesn't seem like the one that they would be going for. At least I wouldn't want to go for because I think something that a lot of streaming services are, are learning these days is user churn is really tough to fight. And that That's also right. exists for hardware devices and a big thing that you'll have to fight, especially if you're comparing smartwatches to the Apple ecosystem, is can you really expect to convert a meaningful percent of users of Apple Watch to use your watch and not immediately go back to the Apple Watch the next year or sense. something like that? Like there's a really strong, you know, embrace from the Apple ecosystem that you'd have to fight against. And so you know, being charitable and yeah. imagining <laughs> that there's they're smart, I think this is all a ploy to get Apple to pay to license their oximeter. I think largely yeah, they were showing in their results. I don't know if this was comparing directly the Apple Watch to their smartwatch, which and it was showing the accuracy being better and following medical grade things in their their own watch. So yeah. I think there's a clear you could show that the that their sensor can be miniaturized into a um, a watch format yeah. and could improve Apple's products, but. I really don't think that they could expect to have a solid business going forward, convincing people to sell, to buy their watch. Yeah. So I think their strategy should be get Apple to license their oximeter and then yeah. get Samsung to license it, then get Google to license it. That's probably the their best hope. Of, good point, of, yeah. of, I would imagine the other part of it is also, you know, instead of maybe going direct to consumers, maybe their path is more, you know, go to like hospitals that maybe use this for specific medical purposes maybe it's not a general purpose lifestyle kind of watch but maybe used for like specific types of tracking specific types of patients things like that yeah i agree with that like when you're in the hospital i think this could be super valuable technology to be like really adapt to how humans want to be you don't want to be like all chained up to the machine <laughs> that rolls behind you right so yeah. definitely see clear use case in the hospital yeah. it's more can they when they go to the when the patient is at home yeah 
would they use their Apple Watch to measure it, or would they have a dedicated, you know, Massimo watch? I don't know. Like, do you want to wear two watches? <laughs> I think that's maybe where the thing comes up. And so, is there a market actually folks with that are recovering from illness, or those that have a chronic illness, could be what they're looking for? But still, I, I think you're you're really limiting your market if you're going for that. And hence, why it seems like healthcare is clear. Like that's where they want to use it. But as it enters consumer electronics space, how do they, they keep these bigger companies interested? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually thinking about this from like Apple's angle, you know, like if you were Apple 10 years back, how do you think about it? Maybe before, before we get into that, it's, 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 a little, it's a little bit interesting to like understand how this whole patent ecosystem works. Again, like I'm not an expert on this topic, but uh, I try to do a little bit of reading about it. So I think typically the way it works, at least in the US, US is apparently a first to invent system, which is basically, it doesn't matter who files the patent first. It matters who invented the technology first, which is kind of nice. There is generally, I've heard like higher novelty threshold compared to other countries from like the initial reading, but maybe the part that is a little bit questionable is I'm guessing that there are probably slices of products where, you know, this threshold is harder and stuff like that. Any um, ideas evaluated how that is evaluated? Like I think one topic that probably was similar is copyright and fair use. Like it's, yeah, a, it's a lot. That's true. That yeah. evaluation isn't necessarily objective. It's kind of like there's no fair use. You can't like, point at metrics, but can you do that for the novelty? That's a good question. I'm not exactly sure, but from some of the initial research, it sounded like it does go through a pretty long process. There's apparently like a decently long backlog of like patent processing and stuff like that. So it does look like it goes through a fairly longer and rigorous process. But like that said, the interesting thing is, so it's it's a 20 year patent by default. Gotcha. So generally when you patent something, it's you own the patent for 20 years. Uh, the the There's been some like interesting history with like tech company battles around like patent. Like, I don't know if you've uh, looked at some of the Samsung versus Apple battles before i don't i i was in my mind i was having uh, <laughs> i was having google versus oracle in the oh like the java, java thing java yeah stuff. yeah yeah that's interesting yeah, yeah. so so samsung samsung versus apple so there were apparently like a few different volleys of like code battles and all that stuff that now happened. i remember now <laughs> yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah so this is like 2012 i think to like 2016 2017 something like that so apparently like the two the two kind of main issues that they like fought about and there were they've basically been suits on both sides. So there have been like Apple suing Samsung and Samsung suing Apple. So the one where Apple was suing Samsung was apparently on some like smartphone design things. So, uh, you know, Apple was like one of the first ones to like design a smartphone. So there's just like basic constructs around, you know, a smartphone is like rectangle box with a square, with like a round button <laughs> in the middle kind of thing. So there was apparently like, a big battle over that and then eventually i think apple won and then it was like overturned in court and things like that so it's essentially kind of like i don't think it like stood up for a very long time and then the other one where samsung sued apple was apparently for some very specific wireless technology that a lot of like ipads and stuff were using so at some point of time the ft no, sorry the itc which is this international trade commission body they did look at this wireless tech thing they actually ruled in favor of samsung where they basically said that like okay apple needs to pull a bunch of ipads and stuff like out from the market and then it looks like the obama administration actually vetoed this decision and said you know given market conditions competitiveness and things like that so that's been like an interesting landscape thing so it looks like the itc is the body that usually 
determines and i think there's like a couple more bodies but like itc plus maybe one more determines if there's a patent infringement they make a ruling they're not exactly like a court but they can determine whether something is like infringed or not and then usually because it's an executive body like the president essentially has like the authority to veto things based on some factors so that's been like an interesting one here so it does look like the itc ruled in favor of massimo Biden administration, I think, had like 60 days or something like that to veto, and they decided not to veto it. So this is like still holding up, and Apple's contesting it and stuff. But that that was some interesting research on like how the patent landscape works. Yeah, I remember seeing the coverage on on this topic, talking about the previous time when Obama vetoed the Obama administration vetoed the yeah. ITC ruling, and the thing to highlight was that well, at that point in time, you know, I don't know how nationalistic it is behind it but you know, samsung's a korean company apple yeah, is an american company yeah. but now we have two american companies duking it out and and i I, I could see how like value wise you might want to be like okay we're gonna even if it's you know tilting scale That's tilting right. scales like well we're gonna favor our hometown team and when you have two hometown yeah. teams you just don't chime in i could see how that goes yeah that's a very good point did you I'm curious about my head turning over the novelty concept oh, yeah. and i guess um I had don't know what I was thinking when I first heard you say that, but now yeah. I think I'm trying to trying to understand again. Novelty, they mean, has to be something new, right? So, yeah. so that's why you, when you're talking about the smartphone design being like a square with a button, <laughs> obviously, yeah. like at some point, novelty does change. Like yeah. Before the iPhone Definitely. was invented, like a thing that was a yeah. rectangle and full screen that had a screen the whole yeah. expanse, you're like, wow, that is new. But as soon as you see the first one, it it does seem like something basic. Like you can't, I mean, maybe maybe I'm getting getting trapped here but yeah. you can't patent you know a cardboard box being brown <laughs> is kind of my guess but maybe, maybe you can't but like it's kind of an example of like you don't know what technology is novel until like really groundbreaking thing gets yeah. invented yeah i think that's fair i think my most educated take on maybe what happened in that smartphone round button situation is more like back at the time when it was actually patented it was like a relatively novel concept mm. but you know 20 years is like a long time the technology moves a lot faster than that so maybe the the distinction that was made at the type of at the time of issuing the patent was you know it didn't really like hold up with how like technology evolved i think something that comes up in legal concept is yeah. whether like a suit or a case is ripe meaning like not not like <laughs> fruits and vegetables but meaning like is it timely you yeah. know and so like if you're yeah, too yeah. late you know it's too late you know like should have brought this up <laughs> earlier but i think that does yeah. sound probably tough with with patent stuff which, which is kind of interesting right so i think uh this is this is the reason why i was trying to think about this from like apple's angle you know like if you were apple 10 years back like what is the calculus right like you you kind of find this company that has uh, this interesting technology i don't know if you heard about this uh controversial part but basically apple went and poached so apple basically started talking to this company it was their head of mergers and acquisitions who like was like hey like let's talk see how we can make this work within the apple ecosystem a few months later apple goes and poaches either like the cto or like one of the co-founders something like that they end up poaching like a few more people from that team you know after they poached like the initial exec from that team so i think it's like an interesting play where you know do you actually try to compete fairly if you do actually poach somebody let me just interject here i, I think we will have contrasting viewpoints <laughs> is i would i would really yeah. interject on the when you said compete fairly because yeah. uh, i think part of my thing is 
if you have some talent that's so crucial to you, yeah. why would you let them leave? You know, or or is is if something so easy like one person leaving yeah. could totally disrupt your technology? You got to compete better. You know, I, I think I'm yeah. not I'm not sympathetic. It's not like you got a mom and pop donut shop and then Krispy yeah. Kreme moves in and drives them out. You know, like I mean, you're like you're warm and fuzzy about the donut yeah. shop, but like this is another company. Sure, pales in comparison size wise Apple, but billions sure. in revenue. And I, I, oh I think, no, I think, yeah. yeah. I think the thing that I'll probably push back on is like one is you know if you're like a small versus large company. Mm-hmm. As a large company, you can obviously pay like a lot more. It's easier for you to poach people, which is fair. You know, it's like capitalism. You should be allowed to poach people. California does not enforce non-competes. So, you know, people should be able to go find economic opportunities that they care about. So I, I think like all of that is fair. I do think that there have been specific situations where the people that have been poached, like there's like a very thin line between what kind of IP that you bring in and stuff like that, you know? Like if you designed like a particular system at like your at like company one and then you get poached into company two and like you know can you how cleanly can you actually say okay the stuff that i thought about there and like built there is like not stuff that i'm reusing here you know which i think actually happened and i don't know if you followed like the uber google lawsuit that oh, i yes. for a really long time so basically there was this person anthony something he was like apparently like a high flyer engineer at google uh, working on their self-driving stuff founded this company called Auto, which is, I think, self-driving trucks or something like that. And then Uber ended up buying Auto. And then it turns out after a lot of litigation, they actually found out that this person had started this self-driving company when he was employed at Google. Apparently, like, pulled a bunch of code from Google before he actually left. Poached a bunch of engineers that worked on the Google self-driving team. And then eventually, I think the case went on for, like, many years. And I think there was finally a settlement. This guy was supposed to be in prison for like 18 months, something like that. Trump, of course, pardoned him like uh, on like, I think January 2021 before he left office or something like that. But, but I think it, it opens up an interesting question of like, you know, if you are a big company, if you are like an arm's length away, like do you kind of take the risk? Do you say, you know, okay, we'll try to have as clean a line as possible and then maybe contest the patent down the line like what yeah it's a, it's a tough question yeah i think it's it's you would you normally expect if if we would say that there's maybe some sort of blurry line here what's okay what's not or yeah that you'd normally accept the expect a smaller company or maybe startup to be more scrappy and i think it's that's kind of what comes out of your your google auto uber yeah. example Contrasting example of, of something similar, and maybe this ties to the yeah. novelty concept. And it's like, do does the novelty is it on the the effect or how you do something? There's, I guess, a pop culture uh, advice for listeners. There's a TV show <laughs> called uh, Halt and Catch Fire. I didn't ever okay. actually finish it, and it was, <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of set into, I guess, the '90s, and it was, it's following some folks that are trying to reverse engineer an IBM computer. Interesting. And what what they the way they were there's a lot of drama involved so like i don't know how, how <laughs> realistic this is the real life yeah. but something they had to do was that they had to get you know of course the the super smart you know programmer to to do yeah. the super hard programming thing right but they had two parts of the problem like figuring out how the processor works and something about like the, the bootloader or, or maybe the operating system and but they had to keep the people separate had them develop reverse engineer both parts of the ibm computer separately not collaborating okay. and the whole point was they had to develop it on their own without without really corroborating with each other which just figuring out about the ipm okay. thing like a chinese wall kind of thing yeah. yeah i don't know what you would call it but like the, the the whole point was that they can end up with the same 
solution. Oh, it might have been to have to do with yeah. like processor compatibility. Okay. But you can end up with something that's compatible with and it might have been the yeah. IBM processor or something. Yeah. I know my pop culture <laughs> references before they bring them up. But the fact that it was compatible was yeah. okay. It's and it's also okay that was because it wasn't doing it exactly the same. And so I know yeah. there's the other suit people might be familiar with like Google and Oracle around yeah. Android reusing Java API right. and like this, the code that you can call into Java being very similar to Android. Yeah. And that one ended up turning on different things. But the fact that you develop something independently, like how much does that play into the novelty versus the end effect of the car drives itself? It's like, well, how is the car driving itself? Yeah. You know, that's right. So I, I'm curious about that when it comes to the, how the patent thing will shake out because if, if they're Not special sauce or patent is on the signal processing, the software yeah. component, that's something Apple can change without, you know, affecting yeah, uh, their, their watches as easily. Yeah. But, but I guess on that point, I'm curious what you think Apple should be doing here. Are, are they following things that you would expect? Like, how would you do it in their shoes? I guess I'm not surprised in hindsight, maybe, you know, where I think they probably took, they kind of probably, they took the chance for like, you know, let's, okay, this seems maybe a little bit gray area. Maybe there's a chance that this gets contested. If it does get contested, like let's take to court. It take, maybe takes like 10 years to be resolved. You know, Apple obviously have has like more muscle to fight a court case out for like 10 years versus like smaller companies. So maybe the calculus was more, you know, let's take the risk, the cost of uh, not complying, you know, maybe they can like bear the cost of that, right? So, so I guess it's like that's, what happened in hindsight and then going forward it's like you did mention they are making some software changes i think the software changes right now are to basically block this feature out till they figure something out but it does look like does seem like a lot of the blood oxygen measurement stuff like you know maybe they're not doing this as good as like massimo but it seems like a mature enough problem space that they could figure like an alternate solution to it so yeah maybe it is generally like a good situation where the courts did held out ip rights which i think is is important especially in a country like the us where you know i think the us has generally tried to be more forward when it comes to like protecting intellectual property versus like a lot of other countries so i think it probably ended in like a pretty good place yeah i think it's it's going to probably have a reasonable conclusion. It doesn't seem too crazy. I think there's some other like big tech court cases recently that have had a lot of drama around them. Yeah, um, that's true. I think it would also be, have been interesting for you and I to analyze this if we had more of a, a background in pharmaceuticals because I, I know something yeah, that happens a lot with, yeah. with drug treatments is they'll figure out a certain treatment and they'll know when the patent's going to expire. So they either have to find a, you know, it apparently counts as a separate pa patent if it goes from like being a pill you swallow to yep. like a, a shot or I'm still flying here yeah. <laughs> outside, and outside my zone of expertise. Yeah. But like, I think there's other industries that also have a, a much more, you know, abuse the patent exclusivity thing yeah, that's fair. than, than yep. tech does. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I think well, when you said about uh, us not knowing much healthcare, uh, <laughs> it remembered me, it reminded me of my, uh, I spent like three years in like management consulting mm -hmm. and uh, one of the fundamental principles there was always like, it's okay if you don't know anything. That's great career advice, by the way. I think you just have to fake it till you make it as a lot of good career advice there. That's true. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's pivot into our next topic, which is OpenAI's GPD store. I know we have a handful of listeners we have. I think we have people on maybe 
uh, different ends of the spectrum where they actually know a lot about like AI, but maybe there's also folks that don't know a lot about this. So maybe we can just tee up like some basic con context around this. So I'm guessing everybody by now heard about ChatGPT. The maker of ChatGPT is OpenAI. ChatGPT is essentially powered by the underlying model. The machine learning model is called the GPT model. It's essentially a large language model. I think my dumbest explanation and understanding of large language model is essentially, you know, you take all kinds of text in like the history of the world, put it into like a machine learning model, and it essentially kind of predicts what word follows another word in a particular context kind of thing. That's obviously become like a really powerful tool. One of the things that OpenAI is essentially trying to build and I think there have been a lot of interesting applications that we've seen in the last few months after the ChatGPT launch where people are trying to do like interesting things based on prompt engineering by basically like telling the GPT what to do in a very like conversational interface versus like having to write code and like having to develop an app and things like that. So the GPT store essentially is OpenAI's attempt to accelerate this through like a formal store so that people could create their own quote unquote GPTs put it up on the store and, you know, users of ChatGPT can actually pick these up and actually use these very specific applications. To clarify though, yeah. the, the store component might be a little bit of a misnomer, right? <laughs> so my understanding, yeah. they're, they're all free, right? But to have access to the GPT store, you have to be paying for the, the plus or premium tier yeah, for ChatGPT. Right. Yep. So it does, it's called a store, but for now, all the things in the store are free. That's a good point. Yeah, so basically I think you need to be a paid ChatGPT plus customer to access this, but the but the tools themselves, the GPTs themselves are free. Mm -hmm. You're right. I think when I was trying to understand like what kind of GPT you might someone yeah. develop, there there's oh, yeah. some helpful examples on on the their website that they're trying to promote this. Yeah. So it's, it's, oh, yeah. they chose some good examples. <laughs> so one of them is if anyone's familiar with the app All Trails, they have yeah. I think of it as like a database of, of hikes you can do around you and people can rate them, they can yeah. submit a new hike. And so like you can chat with their their GPT, which which uh, will give you trail recommendation or hike recommendations, and I can you can kind of imagine yeah. oh you can just ask it questions like hey I'm in this place I need a two hour hike you can be like oh I need a hike that's easier or harder or yeah. can I is it a loop you know these kind of questions which I think feels really held back by a text chat interface like yeah, that's <laughs> but it's a good example of how you can more with human language interact and I'll give one more because I think it's it's one that I've I've heard from others was is actually a good example. The one was saying that you could search and get results from academic papers. Interesting. And, okay. And, and I don't know if the example they're highlighting does this, but I, I can actually speak to my girlfriend works in biotechnology space. And yeah. so someone we know that also works in that space is, talks about how found it really useful to be able to upload a paper to something similar like ChatGPT. Yeah. And be able to ask it questions about a paper. So it's like consumes the PDF. And, yeah. and the experience that you end up getting is imagine read a long scientific paper and you have a question about it. You have to like dig in yourself, yeah. you know, like do a find search for keywords. But instead yeah. when you train a GPT on it, you can, you can say, you can, it's like you're talking to the author, you know, yeah. it's, it's much more easy to say, Oh, you know, could this be applied to the eyes instead of the liver? You know, <laughs> there might get some stuff out of the paper. So I thought yeah. those were two random kind of, different spots of different domains, but examples that you can see where a text interaction could work. I think that's a great idea. I actually like like both of those use cases where, you know, there's, there's like an information synthesis problem. There's probably like a lot of information available and you need to like make sense of it. So 
do like that example. I guess the thing that I would question on that one, like let's take the research paper PDF as an example, right? Like why do you need a GPT? Uh, why do you need a GPT plugin for it? Isn't that just like a chat GPT feature where you like upload a PDF and it like gives you stuff? So yeah, no, that's a good point. Because if I built that technology, I think I would want the user to be on my site, right. you know, <laughs> my thing, not be yeah. coming through chat GPT. So that one might be, Maybe what I would take away from that is when it's too involved or too heavy duty, it yeah. probably makes less and less sense to be on, on the GPT store. You'd want them coming to your website. I mean, I guess maybe we're, you know, someone listening 50 years from now will be like, wow, these idiots, they thought they'd always be accessing the GPT through a website. So maybe there's some new, you know, experience that we will not know. But as I imagine it through a website, I would, the heavier duty your, your experience is, the more you'd benefit from going solo and come to my website to use my GPT versus do it via ChatGPT's website. Yeah, that's a great point. I guess uh, maybe the question that uh, for you is, how much do you think this is a big deal? You know, like, <laughs> like I've definitely seen like a bunch of articles and a bunch of opinions which are kind of like, hey, this is the next big Apple App Store kind of opportunity, right? And the App Store is like, I forget like the actual numbers, but it's somewhere in the tune of like tens of billions, like high tens of billions of dollars in like annual revenue. Like how much of a big deal do you think this is? versus, you know, let's say like the introduction of the Apple App Store? I think to be able to answer that, I want to pause on answering that direct question and go to how I got to my overall feeling. Yeah. So the first thing I started with was thinking, I mean, everyone's talking about, oh, it's like the App Store, but for ChatGPT, <laughs> and that's like, there's that direct relationship. Yeah. And, and without going too hoity-toity here, I kind of try to think about like, well, what are these actual things? And you may get some more examples for people out there. There's yeah. the iOS App Store, obviously, there's software called Steam, used for PC gaming a yep. lot. And then I was trying to find one that was more different, but it seems to me that Adobe, the Creative Cloud, has like a marketplace for plugins and stuff. Interesting, okay. And so I kind of generalized, like these things have things in common, right? Like they're, yep. they're kind of distributing software for developers and the users are coming to this one place. And so I think one thing in common with them is they take a cut of any install cost. Yeah. And so that's one thing that's different right now. The Wait, who takes a You Sorry. GPT does or? Uh, the, the distributor. Plans. So iOS okay. App Store. Got uh, so in this case, it would be ChatGPT would take a cut of the price for any third party developer's GPT. Right. You know, they kind of vary, you know, like the from 10% up to 30% of the price is going to, you know, Apple for instead of, you know, random app developer. Yeah. And, and, and so something missing here is it doesn't talk about, well, there's no install cost and the GPT store yep. as of yet. Yep. They do talk about in their in their docs about how in Q1, they will be developing a way where they will pay the folks that build these GPTs. Yeah. So that is, I guess, around the corner. And that's, you know, as, as Apple's making tens of billions, but like of all, all third-party developers combined, or, you know, if it's, if it's they're making 30%, then I guess, you know, I can't do the math all over the top of my head, but there's third-party developers as a whole are making a lot of money as well. So you can see foundational technology could like really create a lot of economics. I think that makes a lot of sense. I guess on the economics thing, the thing that uh, that I really liked your analogy of like the creative cloud or, uh, you know, Adobe's uh, plugin store. Like to me, this feels more like the, the analogy for this is like the plugin store, like Chrome plugin store. Right? There's a bunch of plugins in like Chrome I don't know if you've like used like we've used Slack bots, right? Like yeah. Slack actually has a marketplace. And I don't know if you remember like the early days of Slack. So when Slack was 
essentially trying to build more of these like Slack bots and network connections into the Slack product. They they actually used to pay companies like Slack had this uh, incubator fund kind of thing mm-hmm. where they would basically like fund people that are building bots to essentially, you know, put things into the marketplace. But if, if you think if you think about like where Slack bots are today, I don't think anybody's making money making a Slack <laughs> bot. <laughs> you know? Like the only ones that actually, the only Slack bots I think that are actually useful are extensions of existing product. Yeah, it's like, like a feature have, of your Yeah, product. exactly. Like if you have a Jira, if you have a Zendesk, if you had an Asana, like it makes sense to send some notifications into Slack. But it's essentially like an extension to an existing product rather than like a product itself. So... I think I'm like a little bit skeptical of the comparison with Apple App Store where, you know, I think this whole argument of this is, oh, this is like a whole new operating system. Like that feels a little excessive. Yeah, maybe maybe power through the skepticism (laughs) because I think there's another thing that can make us skeptical. There's a difference between those, we're talking about the App Store and the money and there's no install cost and and comparing to Slack and things like that. And the difference from all of those to this one is... And maybe I'm making some assumptions here how the exact integrations work. Yeah. But it sounds like OpenAI, the people that are running the store, bear the cost of running the model, right? The, That's fair, the, yeah. the user going across the pricing tiers of, well, let's just look at the first two of ChatGPT. There's a free tier, which is like less good technology, but unlimited, you know, chat in a way. So yeah. that's a, kind of a risky bet by them. And then they have the premium tier or the plus tier, but I can't remember what it was. They're paying a monthly thing as a consumer and you can, get access to their more expensive version that's you know, better but then you also get access to the store and so it seems to me that the experience is probably you know you're chatting away and you add the the gpt yep. from the store but the thing is running on open ai servers so i think that's a difference between the app store is what is running on, <laughs> on the app yeah, store it's, it's nothing it's the the discovery the download yeah. but these are really like marginal costs so let's let's actually talk about like the i mean like a product person but like let's actually <laughs> talk about like what is the actual you know like user thing that can be done because of these did you end up trying the all trails i didn't i didn't I okay it was pretty dead okay so the all trails so the ones that in their press release they basically i think had like six or seven different uh names of like you know gpt creators that they had shared one of them was all trails I use the Altrails app. I use the Altrails GPT bot. Hmm. It's like not terrible, you know, like if you're like, oh, like give me, you know, five hikes that are within an, an hour drive from San Francisco under five miles and has views like, okay, it gives you like a list of five names and maybe that's okay because, you know, Alt- maybe it's like a simpler search problem. So it's like okay to have that interface and Altrails also is like primarily a free, free product. So it probably makes sense for them to get more exposure through something like this. But the other one that I tried was Canva. Okay. Have you used Canva? I've not used Canva. Okay, it's basically like a design software. I think it's like, a, I use it, I've used it for more like lightweight use cases, mm-hmm. like the logo for the podcast, for example. Oh. I usually made it like using Canva. It's like fairly easy if you want to do like simple Is this stuff. a sponsor spot? <laughs> I, hey, if you want to <laughs> sponsor us, uh, <laughs> I'm all ears. So with the Canva one, for example, Canva is it's actually a very cool design tool, especially if you want to make like marketing materials. A lot of people use it for making like, you know, social media, like the images and stuff like that. And I tried like actually making, you know, let's make a LinkedIn post to say that the next podcast is coming, right? And I tried like giving it a couple of prompts. The thing that it gave me was like, hey, here are five templates. And then once you pick the template, it's like, okay, click on this. Now go to Canva and go design. 
<laughs> which 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 like okay to give them the benefit of the doubt it's like okay v0 of the gpd bot maybe it doesn't do as much stuff like maybe it's still evolving but i do think that there is a fundamental limit on like how much you can do within like a text-based interface even if you actually do improve your interfaces to be more like visual like bard for example has like some visual components today where if you if you probably tell them like hey give me like five workout exercises they actually show you like images of the exercises but it's really hard for me to like imagine how this becomes you know like a full-fledged interface that can essentially replace like a web interface or an app interface and that's that's like one of my skepticism of like what is actually possible from within here you know yeah and i think that the obvious one where it would be an improvement over the status quo is i think we talked about it in a predictions episode yeah was voice assistants so that makes- you're interacting with it as a voice assistant that's i think that's the obvious one that's like oh well yeah this chat interface is just we're faking i'm actually talking to it so so that's one way i can see it going but another thing that's kind of interesting is and i think microsoft nailed the branding here is is the idea of a co-pilot and, and this is where i think open ai is you know not not in a very good position because the, the best way to apply this is I would love for it to be this way, but it, those of you that's used Microsoft Office back in the 90s or 2000s, or you had the little clippy character that would pop up and <laughs> oh, yeah. like, you need that help with X, Y, Z. I think it more of something like that experience, but like embed into the operating system oh, yeah. so that, you know, that can help you do some sort of action. Because a lot of the times, like we're humans, we want to do the, the easiest thing, right? <laughs> but we want to like easiest thing to get what we want. So sometimes it's like, ah, do I really care about which restaurant I'm going to tonight? No, just give yeah. me the one that meets these criteria, good. Or it means date night, maybe you want to like validate them. So like you you want to just want to actually dig into the app that does that. So so maybe the bull case is like you know let's say ChatGPT Enterprise is already plugged into a bunch of your enterprise software. Maybe it has access to all of the data that lives there, and you know maybe they find like a UI version that's like a Clippy, that's you know like a Microsoft Copilot kind of equivalent. Yeah, yes. Jogging my brain here, we actually have at work a extension to the chat gpt that allows it to incorporate knowledge from our wiki site oh yeah so that's obviously yeah. a clear clear way it's like i as a employee want to know how does how do i do xyz at my company if it has access to the, all our internal company that's things right. it can it can actually be like my coach but back to like the specific clippy example yeah i'm kind of thinking of it sitting at a higher level like it's not like i go to open a web browser go to this tab it's like yeah. sitting there it can see what i see I and mean, that's a lot of benefit of the, the phrase that uses multimodal the fact that it can accept yeah. text versus audio versus images imagine it can just see what you're doing you know this is where people would probably want on device processing <laughs> it can see what you're doing yeah. on your computer yeah. and i don't know how it would decide to be activated or you can activate it yourself i think you kind of see early versions of this experience on search engines or even I think I saw more on Microsoft Edge, the browser, where you had there being AI that you could activate and it'd come in as a sidebar to your existing web view. So I get so that. Let me let me poke it on this. I think I agree with the I agree with the applications you're talking about. What is the GPT store part of this? Like, <laughs> like uh, I get why Chat GPT could you know c- connect to a bunch of these, connect to your wiki, connect to your stuff like pull a bunch of information maybe it pulls you know stuff from work day like that makes sense it maybe makes sense for you know enterprise software makers just like the way that make they make like you know apis to like pull data just like the way that make like slack bot extensions maybe it also makes sense to have like an open ai assistant extension 
but like what is the opportunity behind uh, beyond that like you know enterprise software api i would even say everything you just described yeah. is not the opportunity for chat gpt is how i'd view it it could be for like would, their enterprise product yeah or, or i would say like their underlying technology under chat gpt the llm is yep. that is their opportunity but but how a person yep. would interact with it is not going to be through ChatGPT, is, is my theory, and thus That's not correct. using the yeah. GPT store. So I'm very, very bearish on this <laughs> GPT store because yeah. of that. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, if you're talking about the enterprise version, you know, start there, consumer version, enterprise version, you know, like you, we don't choose all the software we use at our company, right? So yeah. what's going to happen is you already, most companies with, you know, security have yeah. evolved <laughs> to like a single login system. And part of that single login system is also managing how you can open any sort of application that the company wants yeah, you to get. That makes sense. So there's already existing parts of companies that work with connecting all these things together, right? Connecting the data together, things like that. So within the enterprise space, we're going to choose a vendor that does this and it's not going to be chat gpt right unless they really like chat gpt and yeah. it's, it's going to it's going to be kind of a more boring choice but the the employee is going to have something like chat gpt but they're not going to be as an employee going to the chat gpt store and add this and add this and yeah. this no the it department is going to have set up the integration and it's going to be embedded <laughs> in so maybe the other version of that is also like i'm not bullish that there will be a centralized interface from where everybody does everything you know like that's kind of what chat gpt is kind of saying with the gpt store where they're like okay hey here's your one text-based ui you basically do everything from here which even in like the enterprise case like that seems like a stretch to me to say like you know you can actually like get the search argument like i get the information extraction argument where you know maybe it's like you want one search engine that pulls from a lot of different places and all of that stuff but it seems excessive that there could be a central interface that actually gets like all of your things done. Yeah, I feel like it's more likely to be a augment what I'm trying to do, whether it's, you know, Microsoft or Google's examples of generate a slide deck or it's like in your human resources UI and you're like, I just want to request some, right. some time off <laughs> and you can't remember the name yeah, and yeah. just be like, help me request time off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. I think it's going to, yeah, I agree with you on that one. And, and I think at least in our price space, it'll probably be something like that. But then on the consumer space, there probably is going to be a universal one. Well, there's going to be, has to be some sort of universal interface that's mediated by someone. And, and it's not, you're in the lead no. here. It's not no. going to be ChatGPT. It's going to be whoever owns your operating system. I think it's like, imagine on, on yeah. iPhone, the, app developers can integrate with a specific, you know, LLM kit and it can help them like, you know, allow a user to use an LLM while using their context or respond mm -hmm. to a general like assistant question. I think it's going to be, that's going to be an interface to find because yeah. no one's going to want to learn how to use everyone's different LLM interface. And there's no way Apple or Google are going to let ChatGPT yeah. be UI for doing <laughs> LLM things on their, um, on their Yeah, that's fair. Yes, uh, like let me let me ask a different question. Like, if what is the opportunity for more like independent quote unquote developers? If, you know, GPT bots like outside of the or it doesn't even have to be independent, but outside of the utility use case where it's like you know your Salesforce and you have an API that connects to it. Is there a real opportunity to for, for you know either like independent developers or companies that actually want to use the gpt source as like a monetizable interface 
I think that, you know, everyone will go back to oh, when the iPhone first came out, like, why would you make an app? You yeah. know, I can already do on the website. I mean, this doesn't really answer the question, but we all have a banking app now. We don't have to only do it on the website. So right. like, those are all extensions of products. So it's really the questions about like, well, what's something that you sell that's right there on in this experience that is native to that experience and non-extension of something else? And that's tough because... I think what you saw in the iOS App Store experience yep. is if the opportunity is large enough, Apple's going to make something <laughs> and then it's going to be there. So I see that as difficult for as a third party GPT creator. If it's a big enough one, the more, you know, that's not super complex and you don't have any differentiation, probably in their interest of imagining ChatGPT as its own business to, you know, take that from you. So you're, your opportunity, you have to keep it small enough where it's not worth it for them, but it's like as an individual <laughs> and valuable space. And, and yeah. uh, you know, it's tough for me to yeah. think of something, and it's probably because I'm yeah. being a sucker just like people <laughs> at BlackBerry when, yeah. when iPhone was coming out. I, I guess my bull case is probably like, okay, let's say, uh, I was thinking about this example of like legal documents, right? Like, let's say you wanted to write like a rental lease or something. Hmm. It's still like a high precision use case where you probably don't want like an LLM to just randomly tell you things because there's actual contractual stuff that you're assigning. So maybe, you know, if there is like a lawyer or like a law firm that has a history of like 10,000 contracts that they've signed, like that's like data that they uniquely own. So they can essentially kind of have that like GPT app or whatever in the GPT store that's like trained on this unique data. And then maybe that becomes, you know, like a, like, monetizable enough asset where somebody's maybe willing to pay like a few dollars to do it or or they also like just get paid by open ai for it right so essentially like if you own a lot of data and given the new scrutiny that is coming on open ai going forward with getting more data maybe that's a good opportunity for anybody that has a lot of data to actually like build something like this i think that's true a lot of it's like the good application of this technology yeah. and that, that you should do something like that but where, where I'm skeptical is like, why would you do it through the GPT store? You know? fair, if, you, if you have yeah. the chops to train over all these legal contracts, you yeah. know, well, what's building a website, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, that's why. Like, I wonder if there's other use cases, you know, like if, if you were like a publisher, for example, mm -hmm. that published like children's books, that's a, that's a use case that I've heard where, you know, for teaching kind of experiences, maybe it makes sense if you had a specific corpus of like, textbooks or specific types of things that you can like feed in that you own the ip for i think your argument still stands yeah. that you know why would you do it on a gpd store if, but... if, i think if you're using unique data that's like trained over it seems like at that point you shouldn't be on the gpt store but maybe there's some amount if you're just retrieving data through an api that that might that might be a good use case where you're just using interface as that human computer bridge of like how do you help them solve their problem because that's lightweight enough where because I, I, I guess I, I didn't even open up the UI to see what it would look like if I wanted to develop one. But I, my understanding is like yeah. you can make a simple one, so simple that it's just yeah. giving it pre-prompts, you know, because yeah, for those that are familiar, yeah. Yeah. But you have the, the default brain of this thing has been trained a little bit, but the way you get it to act in a way you want, you literally, as a, like a human, talking to a human or like a five-year-old, you tell it, you will not change personalities. <laughs> you will definitely not do X or you you will focus on doing Y or misbehaves. You can get it back on topic by saying, no, you're not supposed to do that. Do this other thing. And so there's some amount of, this is called prompt engineering. There's some amount of this that that's lightweight enough, but that you could do and provide a reasonable experience and maybe someone would enjoy it. Makes sense. 
I think uh, overall skeptical about this, but I think we've talked about the 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 things from like as a developer for the consumer side, but I also want to talk about a little bit from the, the open AI side yeah. and, or maybe ChatGPT. I think we should really separate it off as like, that's a separate like business endeavor. Yeah. And uh, so something that, um, that I wrote down about was, so how would they monetize it? You know, or they say they're going to pay out people that make GPTs. Imagine yeah. users like go crazy about this thing, start using all these premium GPTs and they have to pay out these creators now. So they're bearing the cost to run it theoretically, and they have to their revenue, the costs for running it scales, right? Because the more you query it, the more it costs them in compute costs. Yeah. But then also their their cost of the revenue scales too. If they're doing a revenue share with these GPT yeah. developers for every time someone's using it, they're like, like the Spotify model. Like a big right. problem yeah. with Spotify so music is like, like yep. you get more users, <laughs> they're doing more listening, but you still have to pay the labels. So like you're not. Revenue growth is a little less interesting if you're you're like it's keeping them shackled to earth. They can't like rocket off into space with success. And and so like I think on the can they control cost aspect, generally I think we everyone expects cost to go down, go to zero or go down enough. And I we talked I talked a little earlier about like, oh, yep. it might be the, the OS, the operators, the owner that might be the mediator for consumers. Well, guess where a free way to drive cost to zero is if you do on-device processing. So I, I think that's a difficult, difficult thing that it'll take longer for OpenAI to get ChatGPT cost to zero than it will take, theoretically, an yeah, iPhone to be able to run a user's battery for free, right? Yeah. And then the, the revenue thing, it seems difficult to escape this, this Spotify problem. Spotify's version of escaping it. But, but like, what's bad about it? You know, like, like for example, with the Spotify problem, I don't even know if it's like a problem, but like, I understand what you're saying, where it's kind of like your costs are also increasingly, increasing linearly with your, uh, with your revenue. I guess with Spotify, I do think it's a, it's a slightly different structural problem where they are dealing with labels. They're dealing with kind of more powerful companies or like artist management companies, whatever, who have a lot more clout over them mm. versus if you, if you think about something like an app store, like I think the person that controls the rails has a lot more power, you know, and my guess is if you are a really large company, like if you're like a trip advisor, you probably don't want to like expose your entire search experience on like open AI. So the ones that will probably end up building more stuff is probably more like the mid-sized companies that are like okay with this additional stream of revenue mm. so i do think that like it is different from spotify in that sense where open ai probably has more control over you know how they monetize and how much they give out as payouts yeah i would agree on that and and that might show you like what kind of gpts actually get developed that's a good point i i also think it, it puts a cap on the opportunity here you know both of us hopefully it's not too overbearing are not super into this as being a, a great, like, like great for open AI. It's not a given that it's going to be like the app store. Right. I think a bit of that for me is this concept where if your revenue, if your costs and revenue are tied together as you grow, that's a little bit less interesting space to go in. Not a VC, but I imagine if you're a VC, you don't invest in ideas like that. Right. I, I don't know. I think the thing that I would probably push back on is like $20 a month is, is a lot. You know, like for a, for a consumer product, like $20 a month, that's like $240 a year yeah. or average revenue per user of like a paying customer. Like that's a lot of money. 
And again, yeah, there is definitely that question of like, you know, if data starts being, if people start clamping down on what data is being used for training and stuff like that, is chat GPT, does that continue being unique enough in the long term to actually like charge $20 a month? Like probably not. But I do think that just that's the fact that they're able to get people to like subscribe to a consumer search product is like a pretty big deal. And I do think that this is something that search engines did not succeed at, right? Like if you remember Neva, which was this mm. subscription search engine, they actually tried building a subs- subscription-based search engine and they eventually shut down because, mm. you know, I don't think it was like a consumer behavior thing that was like a thing. But I think it's pretty incredible that they have been able to get the traction that they are getting. True. I guess my, my question on that, the traction they're getting, how much is that the free users and how much is that the paid users, right? Because the paid users are the ones that get access yeah, to this. that's fair. And so people, consumers love free stuff. Yeah. So like, <laughs> like that, that is what is all about capping these opportunities is, is that. But you're right. If you get people starting to pay for your thing, that kind of also gives a, a feedback loop of if you're paying for something, you want to use it. So like it could kind of generate some some good recurring like use from the users. At a wild idea it's like a way they could escape this and maybe it's it's going to end up being how they do it is like uh, i don't know if it's true but it's popularized that the way spotify works it's like by minutes listened for your your music for for artists and so that could be the way that they do it for gpt but another one i was thinking is is kind of like microtransactions like in video games like uh i guess a popular one would be probably like fortnite i don't know what they call their their dollars and that but but uh, (laughs) but like you can imagine that maybe they're they're Another monetization scheme would like as a user, it's more complicated, but you're paying for X credits, right? And then like as your usage, the the credits they're using part of like covering like your your usage cost of running OpenAI servers, but then also the um, GPT developer is going to get X credits for for every credit you spend or something like that. And so that yeah, that's one that's way it could go. Like skeptical complex pricing schemes, not yeah. <laughs> successful. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess maybe the takeaway is like, it is definitely going to change how like interfaces evolve in the future. I do think it's changing with in terms of, you know, users expecting more conversational interfaces. We've talked about like TikTok as an interface, as a search interface before. And I do think that like user behavior is changing a lot from the traditional Google search based uh, approach to where it is. And I do think that the, the GPT store will have a lot of cool applications that are built on top of it. Uh, I think both of us are probably skeptical that it's going to be like a great revenue business model for developers who are like building for this. Agreed. Yeah. The underlying technology, bullish. Yeah. ChatGPT store, <laughs> bearish. Also like LLMs, bullish. I don't know how much differentiation does like OpenAI. Maybe we should have a deeper conversation. <laughs> it could be a future. <laughs> time, yeah. Different time, but I do feel like there's a lot commoditizing. Like if if the big providers of data start to clamp down, there is probably like a limited amount of long term differentiation that like OpenAI has with GPT. Yeah, and we talked about poaching earlier. So at some point, <laughs> the engineers that have worked on this for at least a year or two, they're yeah. starting to be spreading around the industry, and the, the magic sauce is going to be slowly out there. So it's It'll be interesting to see. That's true. All right, James, that was a fun conversation. I think we had a good uh, second podcast for the year. Excited to continue doing more of this. Uh, thank you for listening to us. We decided we're going to do a plug because that's what most podcasts do. If you like listening to us, follow us on podcasts. No, ugh, follow us on Spotify 
or Apple Music, or if you listen somewhere else, text me and James, and we will get it uploaded there. Because <laughs> if you can't text us, Vicky probably posts this on Substack, and we can, you know, comment it there probably, right? That's true. Yep, that works too. All right, thank you for listening in, and uh, we'll see you in a week. Yeah, see you.